This episode of Futurismo is brought to you by EY's automotive and transportation sector, the global leader in delivering innovative, pragmatic solutions to enhance mobility. To learn more about EY's commitment to building a better working world, please visit www.ey.com automotive. Okay, so what you're seeing here is our uh, simulators. This is Tom Finnis. And I'm the Recruitment and Outreach Manager for Western Michigan University's College of Aviation. It's a chilly, overcast afternoon in Battle Creek, Michigan, and Tom and I are in a large hangar with white paneled walls. Scattered throughout the hangar are large containers, each one covered in black plastic as tall as a giraffe and about the size of a small conference room. These are Western Michigan's flight simulators, where future pilots learn how to soar. Now, right now, in this simulator, you've got the front half of one of our Cirrus SR-20 aircraft. Uh, in the front, you've got a 12-foot screen, 220-degree wraparound screen. So as you're sitting in the cockpit there, you cannot see any else, anything else. All you can see is the screen. We go inside one of the simulators, where two Western Michigan students are training. The fake sky around us is covered in gray. One of the students is in the pilot seat, maneuvering the plane. The other sits further back at a computer that controls the simulation. His job is to cause trouble. I put the clouds way down at ground level so he wasn't able to come out and visually see the airport with the runway markings or the lighting. So the pilot has to rely exclusively on their the technology of the aircraft. In other words, he's flying blind. This is Futurismo, automotive news podcast about the drive towards tomorrow. I'm your host, Shiraz Ahmed, and I didn't visit Western Michigan University to live out my childhood dream of becoming a pilot. Though, that was an added perk. No, I'm here because we're looking at how technology design influences public opinion, a topic that is crucial to the rollout of self-driving cars. To recap, last time we went back to the 1970s and the advent of auto safety technology to see how one innovation ended up failing miserably. We learned that sometimes it's not how the technology works that leads to rejection, but how it makes people feel. It's not just about the behavior, but the psychology, fear, trust, the confidence. That's Dr. Mark Rosekind. He's an expert in human fatigue and alertness and has had gigs at NASA and the National Transportation Safety Board. Most recently, he was at the forefront of the government's response to autonomous vehicle research as the administrator for the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. So yeah, he knows his stuff. The technology challenges, the engineering, some of them are pretty hard, but there are a lot of smart people going to figure stuff out. Probably some of the biggest challenges are in the arena around the human. I came to Battle Creek because we wanted to see what a successful relationship between man and machine looks like. And for mature autonomous technology, aviation is where you want to be. There's a lot of history, 20, 30 years of looking at how this has been going on in aviation. So what can we learn from those environments? The history of how pilots interact with planes is fascinating. It goes back to World War II, when Allied force commanders realized many fighter pilots were going down not because of the enemy, but because they were accidentally deploying their landing gear when they meant to adjust the wing flaps. Why? 
because the levers felt the same and were right next to each other. Since then, the heightened demands of soaring in the skies has pushed the aviation industry to understand the science of human-machine interaction. Here's how Rosekind describes this work. Happy, sad, anger, fear. <laughs> it ends up that you can take all the emotions and just happy, sad, anger, fear and trying to figure out sort of where those fit. Let's talk about fear. Yeah, I sweated the whole way through it, hoping that everything worked. Probably the most scared that I've been as a commercial pilot. This is Captain Dave Powell. He's the dean of the College of Aviation and does a pretty mean Clint Eastwood impression. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> you, you feel lucky, yeah. punk? That's right. <laughs> We're sitting in his office surrounded by memorabilia from his long career as a fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force and Air National Guard and as a commercial pilot. That was my captain's hat, my last captain's hat from United Airlines. We're chatting about the bond between the pilot and the plane. Think back to what we just heard in the flight simulator. Students were learning how to fly blind because in the real world, that knowledge can mean life or death. Powell lived that scenario. He was flying through bad weather into Seattle in what's called a Category 3 landing, which basically means the pilot has lost visibility and is relying entirely on information provided by the computer. The stakes were high. About 280 passengers, I think we had that day. I'm not flying the airplane. The airplane is being flown off the autopilot. He pushes the button that toggles the autopilot into descent mode. So I'm, I'm holding onto this waiting. About halfway through, the, the nose dropping down, I finally pick up the runway center lights. The wheels touch down, I look out, I don't see anything. That was a very, very intense landing for me. The only one I've ever done. Now, that happens every day. Captain Powell swears by the technology in planes. I remember once upon a time they used to say, you know, real men aren't afraid to let a car shift for you. A real aviator doesn't mind having the help of a computer to help them be better. From his office, he looks out at some of the planes the university owns, lined up, waiting to take off. The power of computing that they have in these aircraft is just tremendous. It's, it's a struggle to try to fly, listen to on the radios what's going on. And oh, by the way, I need to build a flight plan to go down a descent path. Uh, having these computers to do that, they do it instantaneously. You know, that's what computers are great for, that repetition. And they do it probably right all the time. His embrace is kind of stunning when you consider how he started. Everything you did as a pilot was pretty much manual. I didn't even really fly an autopilot until I got into my, my third generation of fighters. Think about that. In just his career, Captain Dave Powell went from manually steering planes during wartime to instinctively trusting a plane's autopilot to land him and 280 passengers when things looked rough. That's really what we teach here is, is really how to use the automation. The future of cars is just like the future of airplanes. It gets better and better and you get more and more help. And the fact that you're not smart enough to take advantage of that help, you know, who's the fool there? Coming up, we'll sit down with some of Western Michigan students to find out how they learn to put their lives in robotic hands. And we'll get a view from the cockpit of what a pilot has to deal with when cruising at 200 miles per hour. That's after the break. Automotive news publisher Jason Stein sat down with EY Global Automotive and Transportation leader Randy Miller to discuss how the industry is remodeling for mobility. You're participating in a couple of different uh, initiatives, some specific examples where mobility 
is um, directly linked? Maybe you can share some of those. Sure. We're investing heavily um, in this space. And, and really, we have uh, three uh, primary offerings that we're spending uh, time on. Number one is uh, the design, build, and launch of the business models themselves to help our clients figure out what they should do uh, and then help them actually operate uh, those models. What we've also seen is a huge talent gap as part of the launch of those models. And, and so what we're building uh, is a uh, talent marketplace uh, that's going to be proprietary to, to, to EY uh, that will allow our clients to package up uh, the key competencies that they need, uh, whether it's entrepreneurial experience, specific startup experience, or specific mobility experience, and be able to rapidly acquire that uh uh, talent uh, and uh, actually purchase it in, in creative ways. Third way we're, we're also participating is around helping to build uh, some of the sharing models. So we're putting together some fractional ownership um, models uh, using blockchain technology, Bitcoin technology uh, to, to really take advantage uh, of the capabilities of those technical platforms uh, to, to really have some creative uh, fractional ownership sharing to allow um, consumers to participate uh, whether they're an investor or a user or an operator. Fairly creative, and we're seeing some interesting movement on that. We're back with Futurismo, and I'm sitting down with two students at Western Michigan's Aviation School chatting about losing control where you close your eyes as the student pilot and your instructor kind of gets the airplane moving and really at one point or another you're all twisted around upside down all around kind of thing what do you feel when they tell you i guess the first time when they're like all right you have to shut your eyes uh, and we're going to do a bunch of stuff and then you're going to take over a little thrilling but, uh, yeah you know, uh, <laughs> kind of fun to me it sounds terrifying I'm here with Tyler Herndon and Susie Targos discussing a test the school's instructors put new recruits through. The objective is to get student pilots to instinctively trust what the plane's computer is telling you about your surroundings, rather than what your inner ear or cognitive perception might be telling you. It's really, really fun to see really how, how the mind can really trick you. Like I felt like I was completely upside down, and like your whole entire body tells you that you're upside down, but then you look you know, out the window and you might be just into like a 30 degree bank or something like that. Susie and Tyler are both young, 19 and 20 respectively, and they both came to aviation from different perspectives. Susie comes from a family of pilots, went to aviation summer camp programs, and first flew when she was just seven years old. I went to a local airport and um, went in an experimental aircraft, and it was my first time in a small airplane, and I was remember being so nervous. What uh, So what's an experimental aircraft? It kind of like the owner of the aircraft built it on their own, so they kind of like, yeah, so it was... You were a seven-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I heard that, and I was kind of like, oh my god, uh, as a seven-year-old, you know, it could kind of be a little terrifying. Tyler, on the other hand, came into his fascination with planes naturally. He's from northern Michigan, where he attended an aviation charter high school located near an airport. They actually have like a viewing area that I even went to even when I was in high school going to the aviation academy. So you yeah, just like watch planes take yeah, off. Just take off and I always thought like I would always do that and I I got into like model airplanes and even like gas model airplanes. Tyler and Susie sound like many car geeks that I've met reporting. Aviation is just second nature to them. But that intuition needs to be cultivated. It took probably a good 10, 12 lessons for me to actually fully 
trust or really rely on those on what those glass screens were actually you know perceiving giving me that data it really is again training your body to ignore everything it's telling you and focus on what those those dials are telling you a lot of that trust lies in the technology itself the dials and switches and monitors on a plane's console so i needed to see a plane it's like a sports car uh, for aviation. I mean, it's just a, like a Lamborghini. You just get excited and, uh, when you see it. This is Tom Thinness again, recruitment manager for the school, leading me into the hangar where they keep their Cirrus SR-20s, a gleaming white propeller aircraft. I have to agree, it is definitely sporty. I climb in and Tom turns the ignition. So what you're looking at here is you have your your glass panels and now glass panels is nothing more but a general term in aviation for computer monitor screens but we just call them glass panels the console is basically just a jumble of buttons switches fuses knobs and screens everything's designed to be within reach and distinguishable by touch a pilot's job is basically to quickly read and interpret information and then push the right button on your primary flight display, you're going to have your headings, you're going to have your altitude, you're going to have your speed, you're going to have your ground speed. You'll hear it all the time with pilots that they were able to make a decision that saved the flight because of looking at their instrumentation, looking at what the, the aircraft is actually telling them. And when something goes wrong, the alarms go off. Uh, it's kind of like the the robot in Lost in Space, you know, Danger Will Robinson, Danger Will Robinson. Danger Will Robinson, Danger, no Will Robinson. Having never been in the cockpit of a plane, everything in front of me is indecipherable. But for pilots, it seems so simple. Let's go back to the simulator. Tom walked me over to where two students were working on a stripped-down version of a pilot's console. 50 or 60, and then you introduce fuel. Yeah. Store forward and back to start idle. It was almost like a children's toy. All of the buttons and controls were just printed onto plastic. There was nothing to actually interact with. One student would read off a name from a list, and the other would simply touch it. I asked Thinness what they were doing. By sitting right here, in a very low, sophisticated way, they can understand the operation. They can understand where things are located, okay, my fuel shutoff switch is here, my throttles are here. So from that muscle memory standpoint, it becomes instinctive. The real feat of autopilot in planes, to me, isn't just the movement of the plane, automatic steering or altitude control. No, it's that every aspect of the autonomous experience, every interaction pilots have with the system, is carefully designed to be understood at a moment's notice. That is what engenders trust. I asked the two students we heard earlier whether they were ready for self-driving cars. Tyler was absolutely ready, but Susie, who first started flying as a child, said this. I am not for self-driving cars. Uh, I Flying, I believe, is a lot safer than driving. 
um, pilots in general, you know, you don't take the situation lightly. You're, you know, you go out to the plane, you pre-flight, you make sure everything looks safe. Uh, it's kind of funny sometimes, uh, when I'm like driving on the highway, my parents will be, you know, worried and they'll be like, Oh, are you like, how's traffic? Or, you know, like, how's this, how that? And I'll be like, Mom, Dad, like, I'm going to do a solo cross country. Like, I'm going to be flying by myself, like, whatever. And they're like, Okay, have fun. Here's what I wonder. Will the everyday driver feel as comfortable and secure in a self-driving car as Susie does in the cockpit of an airplane? Here's former NHTSA administrator Rose Kind again. It's going to be all about their emotions. You know, are they going to be comfortable getting in and knowing it's going to be okay? And that's where we need to be working on this now because it won't be about the whiz-bang technology that they're looking at. They're looking at whether if I get in this, is it going to be safe for me to actually get to the store? Next time, we're going to finish our look into human-centered design by going into the car. We'll talk to researchers and engineers about how to make self-driving cars not only safe, but intuitive for riders as well. And as we'll find out, that has to do with the language of light and sound. Today's episode of Futurismo was produced by me, Shraz Ahmed, and edited by Sharon Silkardi. Additional reporting by Krishnan Anantharaman. Special thanks to the Western Michigan College of Aviation for opening their doors and planes to us. You can learn more about the school at autonews.com slash flight podcast. We only briefly touched on the history of autonomous aviation, but there is so much more. You can find a recommended reading list to nerd out over at autonews.com slash podcast. Futurismo is a podcast by Automotive News, the leading publication in covering the auto industry. Check us out online at www.autonews.com and follow us on Twitter at automotive underscore news. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. Until then, on behalf of Futurismo and the entire crew, I'd like to thank you for joining us in the skies today and to please watch your step as you deboard.